think it could be done better, Joe. And I think one of the hardest things with building a real estate business is there's only two ways to scale. You either do more deals or you do bigger deals. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is. And that's when it is February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five. So you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter Take5, T-A-K-E-5 when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, Stefan Arneo. How you doing, Stefan? Great, Joe. Doing great. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And a little bit about Stefan. He is an award-winning real estate investor. He actually won the 2014 Rich Dad International Hall of Fame Award. He's also a author and entrepreneur. Started with 1200 bucks and has built a multi-million dollar portfolio based in Winnipeg, Canada, and you can say hi to him. His website is in the show notes. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. My story started when I was 16 years old and I wanted to be a rock star. I told my mom and dad, I said, I want to be a rock star. I want to be rich and famous. Of course, they said, that's a horrible idea. But my mom said, you know, I support you, honey. So why don't you go to the university and get yourself a music degree? Because of course, rock stars need to have a music degree, which is completely <laughs> false. Yeah, I know we should laugh at that. And long story short, I ended up graduating from the University of Manitoba at age 22. And I had a post-grad depression because I dropped out of the music school. I dropped out of computer science. I dropped out of the business school. And finally, I took two poetry classes, got an English degree with a minor in music. And it was 2008. There was no jobs for a guy with an English degree. So I worked my whole life, 22 years now, getting out of school. And there was nothing at the end. I got depressed. So I started working in a call center. I was making 10 bucks an hour. I had a guitar teaching job. I was teaching guitar to kids for 10 grand a year, living in my mom's basement. And to me, it wasn't the life that I was promised when I was younger. I thought, man, there's got to be more out there. I'm tired of being poor. I wanted to have a house and a car and maybe afford a girlfriend one day or a wife. I thought, man, I can't be poor. I'm sick and tired of being poor. So I read a little book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it totally changed my perspective. I shut the rock band down. I ended up selling all my equipment, selling my gear, everything, went all into real estate, started going to seminars, bought my first house in 2009 with $1,200 of cash with five other partners. It was a crazy, dirty, <laughs> horrible idea. Never do that. Oh my Just the stupidest thing. And then, Did everyone uh, put in about 1200 Oh, buddy. It was such a bad arrangement. that The deal was like <laughs> five out of 10. It was okay. Like it cash flowed, but it's a horrible idea. And uh, anyways, long story short, the first year I did one deal, second year I did one deal, third year I did 12 deals and I did 24 deals the next year and then 30 deals. And now my team does about 50 deals a year. 
And the whole difference was I ended up getting the proper coaching, proper mentors. And in 2014, won Rich Dad Hall of Fame, which was super cool because the story started with Rich Dad and they validated me. And they only give out one award for that in Canada per year and I think five in the US. So pretty cool to come full circle with that. When you say you do 50 deals a year approximately now, are those buy and holds? Yes, it's a mixture. I have an acquisition team. We got three guys on the acquisition team right now. And a lot of them are actually just wholesale. Like we tie it up, flip the contract, tie it up, flip the contract, make a little bit of money. And then some, I've got right now average per deal. I'd say usually five to 10,000 bucks, but you know, sometimes it's three grand, sometimes 500 bucks, sometimes it's 20,000. Mm-hmm. So it's a variable amount. Some of my students have done 70,000 per deal on some deals. And I think that's amazing. But my team, it's a lot of fives and tens. And then I've got a bigger commercial storage unit I'm working on, 300 storage units. And that's a big 50,000 square foot warehouse. And then I've got a bunch of buy, fix, refinance rents going on, which I think is actually a pretty good strategy. But the great thing about it is you just, you warehouse debt, you buy it now and you just let it liquidate over the next 25, 30 years. I think that's amazing, especially if you got good neighborhoods, good rents. So I'm a diverse guy now. For a long time, it was flipping, flipping, flipping. It was like 30 flips, buy, fix, sell houses a year, 30 rehabs. Wow. And now I'm diversified. I've changed that. So that first one, was that a buy and hold or was that a buy, fix and flip? Oh, bro, that was a buy and hold for 1200 bucks. We're not going to be able to flip it, right? So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it, it was, it you was went, like... You went in with an, in an un- unorthodox structure, so I had no idea what you were going to do with that. Place. Yeah, man. You know what? That, that was like... The, the best part of that deal is I got in. It, yep, it broke absolutely. the barrier and I was like, man, I'm in. My second deal I did was a big, crazy rehab, a buy and hold, and it was a burned down property, this burned down mansion downtown in Winnipeg. And I chopped the roof off and added an extra floor and gutted the building and put the stairs on the outside. Never do this. This is another never do. And that property ended up cash flowing $2,000 a month. So at age 23, I was out of the rat race really fast, covered my expenses as a young kid. And today is a great deal. It's 2018. That was 2010. I bought that. Today, it's a great deal. But at the time, like again, I don't recommend chopping the roof off a house and adding a floor. It's just really hard to do. So you started with primarily, once you got going, fix and flips, and now you transition to multiple things. One of the core aspects is wholesaling, where you all wholesale approximately 50 deals a year. You mentioned storage unit, a 300-unit facility. Is that something you currently own? Right now, we, we got the contract. The contract's going back and forth with the vendor. I can tell you a bit about the terms, though. It's amazing. It's a 50,000 square foot building. It's about a million dollar purchase or so, about a million oh eight. And the vendor is giving me five-year vendor financing, 1% interest only for two years. So think about that. That's like a massive warehouse, great location, great signage. Actually, if I put a billboard on that building, Joe, I think it's going to pay for the whole deal. So getting into the commercial space, that's a contract I keep slapping back and forth. We got it with the lawyers, not final yet. But that's a redevelopment where 300 units and an office share are going to go into a big old warehouse. Just so I'm understanding the terminology because it might be a little bit different in Canada because I assume this is in Canada. Yeah, I'm up here in Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, got it. So when you say the vendor, is that the lender? Oh, so vendor. So you guys would say seller. I guess you say seller. Seller. Okay, got it. it. I'm French or I'm not French, but in Canada, (laughs) we got all this French lingo. Sorry. Okay. Seller finance. Okay. I'm with, now it all makes sense. Seller financing. I say vendor financing. Yeah. Seller financing. And it's amazing because 
this is going to be a big rehab project. You're buying it for 20 bucks a square foot. You're putting in 20 bucks a square foot. And something like that, when it's up and running at 85% occupancy, does $22,000 a month cash flow. That's way different than a little crappy fourplex that does two grand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, it's evolution and it evolves. And along the way, I've also become quite an internet marketer and learned a lot of business skills and built a team. We've got 11 people working here every day. So I'm all about the team and all about the leverage that you can get from having other people doing the day-to-day things. Why not double down on the wholesaling business? Because I'm sure there's more deals out there and just focus on that. You know what? I think the limiting factor is talent. I'm actually going to be overhauling the wholesale side pretty soon. And it's all about talent. When you start building a team and you start scaling, I was mentioning yesterday to a guy I was recruiting, I said, it's about talent and muscle. So the team I have right now, it's okay. It's flowing. They're doing stuff. But I think it could be done better, Joe. And I think one of the hardest things with building a real estate business is there's only two ways to scale. You either do more deals or you do bigger deals, like Mm -hmm. more money or more deals. And all of that takes more skill. So you either train skills to people or you recruit better talent. And for me with that team right now, I think we have to upgrade the talent on the team. We probably have to reorganize the management a little bit. I agree with you, man. I think that there's a lot more meat on the bones there, but it really is about management. And it's about like with flipping, I don't do as much flipping because that's a very management intensive thing. And I don't have the right manager to manage that sort of like E-Myth. You know, if you read the book E-Myth, it's all about the manager. Mm -hmm. When you take a look at the end of this year, or let's just do year to date, overall income coming into your business, what makes up the largest chunk of that? I'm a guy with multiple income streams. So I look at it like this. There's earned income and then there's the equity side where you're building equity. And of course, in real estate, you build equity. You can't just cash that out, but you're building it. And then the other side is scalable business. My organization is a multi seven figure operation and the income streams are always fluctuating. Sometimes information's really good. Sometimes wholesaling is really good. I've even had times years ago, I had a staging company. The staging company kept the business alive in bad times. So it's a multi-seven-figure organization. And depending on how things are doing in any way, any case, right now, Winnipeg, where I'm at, there's talk that the market's gone down 12%. So that's going to affect things a little bit. And it's going to change the game a little bit. So they're always changing. And I think it's like the tide. It goes in and out. And that's why I'm a big believer in diversifying Mm -hmm. and having a lot of different things. Like for example, storage, that's a different thing than flipping. Flipping is great in an up market. When it's going up, 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 it's easy, easy, easy. When it goes down, you got to be really technical and really good on your buys. So for this year, what's the lead one? This one, the lead one in the real estate, probably the wholesaling. Yeah, probably wholesaling over there. And then the rentals and they just keep chugging along. And then the other stuff, we do all the information, all that. And the beauty with that is that's not tied to land. So the toughest thing I think in business is scaling, scaling, scaling. How do you scale? And one of the toughest things with real estate is you got land, you got the government, you got lawyers, you've got the city that sometimes does weird things. And those are where I think the biggest limitations with real estate are is where you got the government coming in or the city, and that's where suddenly things can go really good or really bad depending on what side of the fence you're on. 
Can you tell us about the staging company and how that helped you all when the economic times were down? Yes, I'm a big vertical integration guy. That's where you take your expenses and recapture them through vertically integrated businesses. And when I was flipping 30 houses a year, flip, 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 buy, fix, sell, buy, fix, sell, buy, fix, sell, I have eight sets of staging furniture. So we have a warehouse and we get a truck and we move this furniture around and we would charge anywhere from 3000 on the higher end, 1500 at the lower end. And having sets of furniture, you can set up a set of furniture for five, $6,000 and rent it for about 1000 to 3000 for the first month. And after that, probably anywhere from 1000 to 1500 ongoing. So if you have eight sets of furniture out there and everybody's paying you a thousand bucks a month, that's 8,000 bucks a month of money coming in. Mm-hmm. And I had some times where I had all these flips, they weren't selling. And suddenly like, oh my God, we start deploying some staging, the staging goes out there. And sometimes you need five grand to survive. And suddenly five grand is hitting your bank account. And those little thousand dollar deals, they add up, sure. especially in a business like real estate where it's illiquid a lot of the time, right? You might have a million dollars of equity and zero cash. Now you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So where is that staging company now? It's still running. Again, it's a matter of it doesn't scale. So it's a business where we got eight sets. We have a warehouse that I lease to house that. And the furniture goes out, it comes in. One of my guys and his girlfriend, they run it. And it's cool for me because the checks come in. I sign the checks, I pay them. And I have not staged a house ever in my life, Joe. I've never done it. I've never done the work with that. I've always had someone doing it and they do the labor. So I pay them their piece. And then it's almost like a real estate deal. I mean, you're moving this little furniture around, but you run into that same problem. It doesn't scale. You know, what do you do? Well, if you have, let's say 50 sets of furniture, Mm -hmm. the biggest issue with it is every realtor has his own little stager. So he might have his girlfriend or he might have his own set of furniture or he might have his friend. There's some people who do staging for like ridiculous rock bottom prices. So the marketing and the selling of it is a little bit difficult. And then the other thing is it's just not a fun business to scale. It doesn't scale well. It's trucks, it's people, it's damages. Sometimes people stage a house and they forget the forks in a drawer and you're losing your forks and someone's got to go buy more forks. Just the minutia of that, it doesn't scale well. So I've left that business at an eight set furniture business and it cash flows, it makes money. But it's probably not the biggest thing where I'm like, oh man, this is going to win the war of life for me. <laughs> you know, It's a cool hobby business. I always get approached by young women who are like, hey, I want to work in your staging company. I want to do that. And if you're a stay-at-home mom and you got some furniture, that's awesome. But if you want to make a million dollars a year, I think that's going to be a really hard time to scale that to a million dollars. You mentioned you're a proponent of vertical integration. What's another example of vertical integration within your business? With the flipping, the best thing that I did with that was I take a finder's fee on the deal. So that's the first profit center. Second profit center is I get the staging contract. Mm. Third profit center was we charged a little fee for the bookkeeping. So there'd be a little admin fee. And then if it was a joint venture, I'd take half at least, or we would have a different structure with the investors. So it'd be four profit centers per deal, which is really great. And that would help me run the pipeline because- Your acquisition guy's got to get paid. Stager's got to get paid. Bookkeeper's got to get paid. So we take all those little integrations there. And with the storage that's coming up, I'm looking to vertically integrate that because when we have the storage business, the staging's going to move in there. 
and then my office is going to move in there. And I think other things like bringing in-house social media marketing agency in there, bringing video production in there, all the things I spend money on, I try to recapture into vertical integration so that rather than spending money, you're making money on that. And some of those scale really well, like a social media agency scales beautifully, whereas furniture in a truck in yeah. a storage unit is really hard to scale. Mm-hmm. I get it. That makes sense. You said you have 11 people on your team. What do they do? We got about eight or nine of them are income generating. So those are either salesmen in my info business or they're acquisitions people. And then we've got in-house accounting, which is awesome, man. Having in-house accounting makes your life awesome. I haven't opened my mail in five years. They just open it. They sort it. They bring me a stack of signed things and reports. It's amazing. I've got a really good assistant who just gets better and better every day. And then the other person, you have a guy who does nothing but shipping mail. That's all he does. Mail every day. What's so he mailing? Well, we sell a lot of books. Yeah, we got a lot of books, courses, programs. So every day there's a massive FedEx thing and a massive Canada Post going out. So that guy just does mail. And that's a pain in the neck when you physically mail stuff because people lose it or they put their wrong address. And of course, the customer's always right. And Amazon gets it in one day to the customer and they got to wait a week. People get pissed (laughs) off now, right? We live in a different world. You've got the 11 people and it is interesting how you labeled the eight to nine as income generating. I love thinking about it that way. Who came first and how did you bring on these team members? And we can just group them at the nine people, income generating, the accountant, the assistant, and the shipping person. Who came first and in what order? Oh man, Joe, that's the best question because there's so many guys out there that want to scale, but they don't know how or they're afraid. Now, I remember when I was, I think it's 2013, so about five years ago, I went to a conference and a friend of mine was selling Infusionsoft packages. Yep. I guess that he got the Infusionsoft guy to fly in and he was selling it. And I'd written a book and I was flipping a bunch of houses and I was alone. I was one guy. And he said to me, you should buy Infusionsoft. And everybody goes, oh man, 1500 bucks down and 300 bucks a month. Like, oh, I don't want to pay that. And he said, just do it. So I just did. I swiped my credit card. I bought the CRM and I went home and I had no employees. So I had a little office. I walled off a part of my house. Like I built a wall with nice doors and everything and branded it up so it looked cool. And I had this little office empty. I went to Ikea. I bought three desks. I didn't even know what to do with Infusionsoft. I didn't know anything about it. I still don't know anything about it. Other people do it. I know nothing about it. So I hired two girls. One girl was going to be an acquisitions person. And I put her on salary, which is a horrible idea. I would never put an acquisition person ever again on salary. Bad idea. And then I also hired another girl. I had these two girls trying out to get a job with me. And the deal was go out and get me a real estate deal at a discount. And whoever gets it is going to get the acquisition job. So that was the interview. And it went on for like a month or so. You know, these girls are interviewing for a month trying to get a deal. So one of the girls got a deal. I hired her for acquisitions on salary. Bad idea. And then the other girl, I was like, I don't know what to do with you, but I love you. I think you're great. So we ended up opening an accidental coaching business. And I just call that accidental coaching because I never planned on having a coaching business. I said, I don't want to let this girl go. So I opened a company with her. And then the third person we hired was a bookkeeper. And that was a big disaster because that bookkeeper didn't bank reconcile the books to the bank account. And we went for like, I think it was like two or three years with no reconciliations. And me being ignorant, I didn't know what a bank rec was. So suddenly 
three years down the road, I had a $40,000 bookkeeping bill to clean up my books because nothing was tied to the bank account. So I was getting reports. Dude, I was getting reports. I was getting Excel spreadsheets. I was like, oh, this looks great. This looks great. (laughs) Nothing was reconciled. (laughs) And I had some multimillionaire investors investing with me. One was an accountant. He said to me, your bookkeeper's not reconciling anything. I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, oh, and they were getting freaky and sweaty because they did their own books on their own account with me. So I had my rich guys in one account. Then I had everybody else in another account. So their account was reconciled tickety-boo, super tight, numbered checks in like Ziploc bags. And then the other account was just the wilderness. It was like squirrels (laughs) and gerbils and wolves and rabbits and eagles. And like, it was crazy, man. So that was a super bad. How'd you find that bookkeeper, the one that messed up? Oh my goodness. You know what? I don't even remember. My guess is I have a long list of hires and fires. The worst people have been from the online classifieds like Craigslist, Kijiji. She was probably a Kijiji. Mm -hmm. And then all my best hires have always been referrals or customers. Those are tremendous. And I've stopped hiring. I had a headhunter I hired. I think I burned through four or five bookkeepers to that headhunter. And then the lady that does it now, she's really great. She was a referral through one of the headhunters. So she came in and started working for minimum wage in the office sorting things during that bookkeeping debacle. And then she ended up becoming the bookkeeper and she's grown from there. So everybody in my office is a referral. Kijiji, forget it. Craigslist, forget it. Headhunters, forget it. Recruiting people is much like acquiring customers. You need to indoctrinate them and they need to be in love with your brand. And I say it's like Disneyland. If you don't believe in Disney, you're not working at Disneyland. If you haven't seen The Little Mermaid, you're not coming to Disneyland. If you don't like Beauty and the Beast, you can't work at Disneyland. And that's how my place is. You got to read all my books, do book reports. You got to know everything about it to even come to Disneyland over here. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, man. Best real estate investing advice ever. Are we talking for an advanced person or a beginner? Let's go advanced. Okay. So interesting. I think right now for me on an advanced level, it's about strategy. I'm playing it like a monopoly board now. I want key pieces, strategic pieces of land in strategic neighborhoods. For example, this building I'm buying right now, it's got signage on it that's better than the building. That's a strategic piece. I just bought my neighbor's house because I'm assembling on my street. I'm assembling, buying them one at a time. And I think that when you assemble or when you have strategic pieces and you think strategically, not just about cash flow, everybody wants to know what's the ROI? What's the cash flow? They're like these little sizzly, hot little numbers. I'm more interested in what's the strategic, what's the 30-year term of this? And here's a crazy thought, actually, Joe. This might be it. If you're doing buy and hold, and if you're holding it forever, it kind of doesn't matter what you paid for it. Yep. And that should blow your mind a bit, unless you already think that way. As long as it cash flows. Yeah, let's say, yeah, cash flows even 100 bucks or whatever, 50 bucks. If you buy it today at any price, and you hold it for 30 years and you plan to never sell, that is an amazing deal. That's what Warren Buffett does. So jump with Warren Buffett and buy things with the intent of never selling and buy them strategically so you own that street corner and you own that sign. And I just bought my neighbor's house. I put my employees in there and they live there and the office is next door. Strategic. The strategic things you do with real estate on a 30-year period or a lifetime period is where you're going to make the most money. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. 
All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our Best Ever partners. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best Ever listeners, Best Ever Conference, that's where you want to be, February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number 5 to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there, besteverconference.com. All right, best ever book you've recently read? Oh, The Fourth Turning. Uh, I think it's by William Strauss. It's about the four cycles of history. Amazing book. you got to read it. What's a best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about already? Damn, that's a hard one. I'd say buying this neighbor's house here and turning it into employee quarters is just really hot. It's next level with the strategy. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Oh, dude, worst one ever. I had a deal we were flipping. It was a buy, fix, sell on a duplex. And we found out everything said duplex, duplex, duplex. My lawyer bought it. We paid for title insurance. The city came back at us, said it wasn't a duplex. And our title insurance was never purchased. So now we're suing for errors and omissions. So that was absolutely brutal. That was like a hundred grand loss. Super brutal. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Best ever way to give back? That's a real interesting question. I go on Kiva and I fund chicken farms for people. So I do micro loans and help as many guys start chicken farms as possible. I only do chicken farms and that's it. Just chickens, 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 because chickens have such a high yield that it can get the most people out of poverty. I really believe in setting people up with the chicken business. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? They can go to stefanarnio.com or follow me on Instagram, Facebook. I'm the only Stefan Arnio on Google. I've got the first 30 pages just to me. <laughs> Stefan, really enjoyed our conversation and thanks for being on the show. Learned about how you got to this point as well as how you scaled the 11 people in your company and the order in which the first couple came about one the acquisitions person then the unintentional coaching business and then the bookkeeper that didn't work out and then how you found the person who didn't work out online versus referrals and having uh, customers then team up with you and then also the vertical integration with the staging company as well as other ways that you look to vertically integrate your business. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number five to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there, besteverconference.com.